0: 23. 2 Kings 23, we begin at verse 28 and we read through to 24 and verse 7. For those of you who are not here last week, we're setting the stage for the book of Ezekiel, some of the historical background. We looked at the reign of King Josiah, and now today Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim inviting Yahweh's curse. Verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. And his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land, to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old and he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely, at the commandment of the Lord, This came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and Jehoiachin his son reigned in his place. The king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So far, the reading of God's holy word. You may want to keep your bulletin in also at Jeremiah 26. We'll be turning to that in a moment. Jeremiah 26. The great missionary to India, William Carey, had five sons. One of them died in childhood of a malarious fever in India. The four remaining sons all became missionaries and supporters of Carey's vision in India. Carey had the privilege of seeing his sons embrace the gospel which he loved. And then he also had the joy of knowing that his sons desired to serve the Lord with all their heart, to devote their life to him. Archibald Alexander was a faithful Presbyterian pastor in the U.S. who is remembered as being the founding professor of Princeton Theological Seminary in 1812. Three of his sons, Joseph, James, and Samuel, became Presbyterian ministers. Two of his grandsons also grew up to become pastors with a strong commitment to the old Princeton theology. Archibald Alexander had the privilege of seeing his sons and grandsons labor faithfully for the extension of Christ's kingdom. They had a strong commitment to the Word of God, the inerrancy of Scripture, and the propagation of Reformed theology. William Tennant... A Presbyterian pastor of the 1700s is remembered for the building of the Log College, a school where men were educated and trained for the work of gospel ministry. Tennant had four sons, Gilbert, William Jr., John, and Charles. All four of them were trained by their father for the ministry and were used to the Lord for the building and strengthening of his church. William Tennant had the joy of knowing that his sons loved and faithfully proclaimed the truths of Scripture. William Carey, Archibald Alexander, and William Tennant saw their sons devoting their life to Christ and building up the body of Christ. What a joy it is for a Christian father to see his children respond in faith to the Word, walk in the ways of God, and live joyful and disciplined Christian lives for his glory. There is nothing that thrills the heart of Christian parents more than when their children forsake the world, turn away from the unsatisfying pleasures of life, and bring themselves enthusiastically under the lordship of Christ. Our children may acquire many things in this life, but if they reject the gospel the message of salvation, the obligations of God's covenant and their need of salvation, then they have rejected what is most important. They have spurned the way to everlasting life and the internal inheritance given to the children of God. Brothers and sisters, King Josiah was a very godly king. We saw last week that when he was just a young boy, his heart was tender to the things of God. And when he turned 16, he made a conscious choice to seek the God of his father, David. When he turned 20, he began to initiate reformation. He took drastic steps to cleanse the nation of its idolatry. He destroyed the images, executed priests of Baal, and broke down their altars. When he was 26 years old, he began to restore and repair the temple. When the book of the law was discovered, Josiah was deeply convicted of his sin and the sins of the nation. He was so convicted by the reading of the law that he tore his clothes and wept before the Lord in true repentance and humility. In the remaining 13 years of his reign, he labored with great determination to purge the land of its idolatry and restore the true worship of God. He commanded that the Passover be celebrated in Jerusalem. It was a feast, brothers and sisters. It was a feast the likes of which had not been seen since the days of the judges. Josiah called the nation back to the Lamb of God. The Passover was a reminder that Israel was a redeemed people who were set free by the blood of the sacrificial Lamb. They could escape the judgment of God and be liberated from the bondage of Egypt. The Passover was intended to point Israel to Jesus Christ. Therefore by celebrating the Passover, Josiah was calling the people to forsake their idolatry and to embrace the gospel. We read in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 that Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. The feast of Passover proclaimed Christ, the great unbloody Passover lamb who had to be slaughtered to make atonement for sin. By restoring the temple and celebrating the Passover, King Josiah was calling the people to trust Christ alone for salvation. But congregation, tragically, Tragically, Josiah did not see the fruits of faith in his own sons. Although they were covenant children, there is no evidence that they embraced the Christ of the covenant. William Carey, Archibald Alexander, and William Tennant saw the fruits of faith in their sons. But King Josiah never had that privilege. He loved, served, honored, and obeyed God. But his sons who ruled after him were completely the opposite. Josiah was the only king of Israel to be succeeded by three of his sons and one grandson. But all of them were evil in the sight of the Lord and rejected the gospel message of salvation in Christ. They had an amazing example. Chapter 23, verse 25 says, Josiah turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. He was an exceptional ruler. But his sons rejected everything that was so precious to him. Here we see, brothers and sisters, the sad reality of unbelief among God's covenant people. Scripture provides other illustrations of this. Eli was a priest who served God according to his word. His sons, however, were corrupt. They did not rightly perform their priestly duties. 1 Samuel 2 says, The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. Eli served God. His sons did not. Then there's also Samuel the last of the great judges of Israel. Samuel served God in obedience to Scripture, but of his sons we read in 1 Samuel 8, they did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Samuel served God. His sons did not. We think of King David, the man after God's own heart who wrote such beautiful psalms of praise to the Lord, the man who brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem while leaping and praising God. David had a very deep love for the Lord, but several of his sons lived in unbelief and rebellion. Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah showed no signs of faith. David served God, but these sons did not. Children and young people, this is something that you need to consider. Are you going to serve God according to His Word, or are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to believe the instruction of your parents from the Word, or are you going to follow the world? Are you going to assist in building the church of Jesus Christ, or are you going to break it down? Are you going to bow before the idols of our age or are you going to bow before the sovereign Christ? Are you going to dismiss biblical Christianity as old-fashioned, boring, and obsolete? Or are you going to joyfully proclaim biblical Christianity as the only way of salvation? Are you going to be indifferent to Christ? Warming a pew while showing little commitment to him or, and his church? Or are you going to say with the hymn writer, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? How sad it is, brothers and sisters, when parents serve the Lord, but their children do not. When a son of the covenant ignores or rejects the Christ of the covenant, that's what we see in the sons of King Josiah. In our text, we observe Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim inviting Yahweh's curse. We ought to look, first of all, at the short-lived rule of Jehoahaz, and secondly, the shameful rule of Jehoiakim. Verses 31 to 34 of chapter 23 document the short-lived rule of Jehoahaz. Josiah's ambitious and fruitful reign was suddenly terminated by his death at Megiddo in a battle with the Egyptians. In the year 609 BC, the Assyrians were fighting a losing battle against the Babylonians. The Assyrian Empire had declined in power, and Babylon had become the greatest nation of the Near East, a first-rate power. Because the Assyrians were struggling, Necho, king of Egypt, marched his armies through Palestine to assist the Assyrians. Verse 29 says that as Necho was marching to help them, King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him in Megiddo. Verse 30 tells us that his servants moved his body to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. The death of Josiah ended 31 years of righteous rule in Judah. The hopes of the godly must have vanished as the 39-year-old king was entombed in the city of David. The faithful prophet Jeremiah lamented his death, 2 Chronicles 35, and all the godly in Judah and Jerusalem did the same. No doubt the 13-year-old Ezekiel was among the mourners. They had good reason to mourn. For when the funeral was over, the people took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Joahaz was certainly not the man that his father was. Verse 32 provides God's evaluation of him. Have a look. Verse 32. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. He followed in the footsteps of Manasseh and Ammon rather than Josiah. He turned his back on the reformations of Josiah and chose to follow the dangerous and deadly path of unbelief. He chose to be a covenant breaker, forsaking the faith of his father. Verse 31 says that he was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned only three months in Jerusalem. The interesting thing about his coronation is the fact that Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom, was not Josiah's firstborn. The people of Judah bypassed the first three sons of Josiah and selected the youngest to be king. 1 Chronicles 3.15 mentions that Johanan was Josiah's firstborn, Jehoiakim was second, Zedekiah was third, and Jehoahaz or Shalom was fourth. For some reason the people of the land favored him over the other three. Commentators speculate that he was chosen over the others because of his strong anti-Egyptian policies. At any rate, He was certainly not. He was certainly not chosen for his godly character, love for the gospel, or commitment to truth. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. The evil for which he is remembered must have been evident before his father's death. His three month reign was such a short time that the evil for which he is remembered should probably not be limited to what he did in those three months alone. His ungodly character and evil conduct must have been known prior to his coronation. And so when Jehoahaz took the throne, it was a dark day for the godly in Israel. They knew that it was only a matter of time when they would see God's judgment upon the land. Yet perhaps for many, the judgment came even sooner than they expected. Only three months after the people had crowned him, Pharaoh Necho removed him from the throne in Jerusalem and took him captive to Riblah, his military headquarter, and from there he was transferred to Egypt. Verse 33 says that Pharaoh Necho then imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. He demanded a heavy tribute from Judah. Brothers and sisters, What we see here is the nation of Israel once again being brought, as it were, into the house of bondage. During the reign of Josiah, I mentioned the Passover was observed. The Passover celebrated their deliverance from the house of bondage. But now, out of that same Egypt, Pharaoh Necho came marching up to bring Judah under his rule. The same land from which they had been delivered some 850 years earlier, now ruled over them again. On that wonderful night, when Israel made their exodus from Egypt, they received from the Egyptians what? Articles of gold and silver. Exodus 12 says they plundered the Egyptians. Now, 850 years later, the Egyptians were plundering the Israelites of their gold and silver. Once again, they were under the power of Pharaoh, servants of the Egyptians. Congregation, we should learn from this that disobedience and sin always have consequences. You cannot, you cannot do evil in the sight of the Lord, break his covenant, and expect to escape his judgment. You cannot expect to escape his chastisement. You cannot ignore his word, dismiss his gospel, or transgress his law without consequences. The way of the transgressor is hard. In the long run, sin never satisfies. Short-term pleasure, yes. But it always leads to misery and unhappiness. It is destructive, damaging, and harmful. Sin never produces the kind of happiness that we think it will. Jehoahaz was utterly foolish in abandoning the biblical faith of his father. Like many people today, he thought that his life would be better without the requirements of God's word. And what happened to him? He ended up in Egypt, the house of bondage, slavery. What he thought would bring happiness instead produced sorrow and humiliation. The prophet Jeremiah, who witnessed the capture and deportation of Jehoahaz to Egypt, proclaimed these words in Jeremiah 22. Listen. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah. Okay, so Shalom is the same as Jehoahaz referred to in our text. Thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, who reigned instead of his father Josiah. He shall not return here anymore, but he shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. Jeremiah offered no hope for Jehoahaz. He declared that he would never return to Jerusalem, never again set foot in the promised land. He would die in the house of bondage as a servant to Pharaoh. He had invited Yahweh's curse by doing evil, and the Lord brought him in chains to Egypt. He died as a king without a kingdom, a defeated, helpless, hopeless man. and worst of all brothers and sisters there is no indication in scripture that he repented of his sin and cried out to god in sorrow no indication that he understood his need of forgiveness and his need of the sacrifice as far as we know jehovah has not only died in the house of bondage but he also died in the bondage of sin As far as we know, he entered eternity without the righteousness of Christ, a son of the kingdom cast into outer darkness, the eternal house of misery. There is no greater tragedy imaginable than to die as an unrepentant covenant breaker. Dear friends, beware that none of you depart from the living God. Children, young people, the way of the transgressor is hard. Walk with Christ, live for him, and you will experience the rich blessings of his loving God. Well, then secondly, we want to move on from the short-lived rule of Jehoahaz to the shameful rule of Jehoiakim. The shameful rule of Jehoiakim. Verse 34 says that when Jehoahaz was removed from the throne, Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim king of Judah, and he changed his name to Jehoiakim. Eliakim or Jehoiakim was the second son of Josiah. He was 25 years old and he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. But notice, congregation, notice that he learned absolutely nothing from the judgment set upon his brother. That is absolutely nothing of spiritual value. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 37. We read that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. He was just as hard-hearted as his brother whom God brought to Egypt. You would think that this would be a time of self-examination. Perhaps he would ponder the reason for their current dilemma. Having his name changed by Pharaoh Necho was a sign that Pharaoh had authority over him. Jehoiakim should have asked himself, why is this so? Why have we come under the power of Egypt? The blessings of the covenant in Deuteronomy 28 stated that if Israel obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. The Lord will cause your enemies to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. God promised them victory, strength, military superiority if they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. But he also warned them that if they did not obey his statutes and ordinances, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall, you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. Joachim must have known these words, for his father had them publicly read before all the people. Joachim was not ignorant of the book of the covenant, therefore having the king of Egypt over them should have caused him to do some serious self-examination but he failed to do so are there times congregation when God calls us to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are walking faithfully and thankfully before him are there times in your life when you feel miserable restless and unfulfilled. Perhaps God is calling you to examine yourself, to consider your relationship with Him. Perhaps He's calling you to ponder your love for Him. Jehoiakim failed to do so. The nation was under God's curse and he failed to consider why. He showed no positive response to the divine warnings, to divine chastening. Although the record in Kings and Chronicles gives very little information about the sins of Jehoiakim, we get a clear understanding of what he was like from the writings of Jeremiah. We also get a a clearer picture of what the people and the spiritual leaders were like at that time. Would you turn with me please in your Bibles for a moment to Jeremiah 26? Keep your finger in at Kings and please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah as you know, was a very bold and straightforward prophet. He spoke the word of the Lord without compromise. He proclaimed what God told him to proclaim even when it was not popular. In Jeremiah 26, we get an idea of how his message was received at the time of Jehoiakim. Look at Jeremiah 26 and verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, verse 2, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. Drop down to verse 4. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. Now go to verse 8. Verse 8. Now it happened But Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him saying, you will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying, this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant. And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Verse 11. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Hold it there for a moment. Jeremiah said, Look, folks, unless you repent, the temple is going to be reduced to ruins. This city shall be desolate. The crowds who heard him reacted violently and wanted to kill him. The people, the priests, and the prophets demanded his execution. In the providence of God, Jeremiah was spared. But if you go on to verse 20, you read of another prophet named Uriah, who proclaimed the same message of judgment as Jeremiah, and he was not spared. Verse 23 says, They brought him to Jehoiakim the king who killed him with the sword. Jehoiakim was responsible for the arrest and execution of this faithful man of God. You see, congregation, this is what many of the people and spiritual leaders were like at the time of Jehoiakim. Now, turn to Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 36 brings us to the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. Verse 2, God told Jeremiah to take a scroll and to write on it all the words that God had spoken against the nation. The scroll was eventually brought to the king and read in his hearing. Now look down to verse 22 of Jeremiah 36. Now the king was sitting in the winter house In the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudai had read three or four columns that the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth. Verse 25 says, they implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. Brothers and sisters, this was the kind of king that Jehoiakim was. He not only ignored God's word, he hated God's word. He would have killed Jeremiah and Barak the scribe, but verse 26 tells us the Lord hid them. Because of his hard heart, God pronounced words of condemnation. Go down to verse 30 verse 30 Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim king of Judah He shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night I will punish him his family and his servants for their iniquity and I will bring on them all the inhabitants of Jer- bring on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all the men of Judah all the doom that I have pronounced against them. Jeremiah 22 also says concerning the death of Jehoiakim, they shall not lament for him saying, alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him saying, alas, master, he shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Jeremiah's prophecy suggests that he would not die a natural death And Jehoiakim would not have an honorable royal burial. So congregation, this gives you some idea of what kind of a man Jehoiakim was. You could also go to Jeremiah 22 where the prophet describes him as a selfish, materialistic, unjust, covetous, and violent man. He shed innocent blood and was concerned about nothing but personal gain. Well in 2nd Kings 24 let's go back there. We read 2nd Kings 24. We read in the first verse that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal. The Egyptians were defeated by the Babylonians in the decisive battle at Carchemish and Judah came under the control of Babylon instead of Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar came marching up to Jerusalem and Jehoiakim became his vassal. This took place in the year 605 and it is the occasion when Nebuchadnezzar took able young men as deportees to serve in Babylon. This is when Daniel and his three friends were taken from their homeland to serve in the king's palace in Babylon. Jehoiakim was allowed to remain on the throne But he had to submit to the king of Babylon. This he did for three years, but then he decided to rebel. He probably counted on the assistance of Egypt, but it never came. After his rebellion against Babylon, he was troubled by raiding bands of Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites, and Ammonites. These raiding bands were all vassals of Babylon and were probably sent by the king of Babylon to bring Judah back into submission. But congregation... In verse 2, note this. In verse 2, we see that they were not only sent by the king of Babylon. They were sent against Judah by God himself. Verse 2 says, have a look. And the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Nebuchadnezzar was not the ultimate authority behind the raids. The Lord was the ultimate authority. Verse 3 goes on to say, Surely at the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. The Lord sent these raiders as a sign of his covenant curse upon Judah. Manasseh had plunged the nation into idolatry, and Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim followed in his footsteps. Jehoahaz died in Egypt in the house of bondage. Jehoiakim was probably killed in battle and given the burial of a donkey, according to the words of Jeremiah. There was no grand royal burial, no lengthy procession, no lamentation heard in the land. Jehoiakim died rejected by God and unloved by man. He was only 36 years old. Scripture gives no indication that he turned to the Lord. He had slain God's prophets, burned God's warnings, rejected the calls to repent, and departed from this life with no honor. He is remembered as a covenant breaker with no love for God or the gospel. Congregation, how will you be remembered when you depart from this earth? How will you be remembered when you depart from this earth. Are you a man, a woman, a child of faith? Are you committed to serving your God? Do you live for His honor and glory? Are you living by His word? Is His law your delight? Are you trusting in the salvation of Jesus, our Passover lamb? In the nation of Judah, there were still some who were faithful. Jeremiah was faithful. Daniel was faithful. Ezekiel was faithful. And no doubt, there were many others who looked forward to the coming of Christ with eager anticipation. They longed for the fulfillment of the ancient promises. But there were also numerous men, women, who were just like Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim. They got angry when Jeremiah predicted the destruction of the temple, but they had no love for Jesus Christ who was the fulfillment of the temple. My dear friends, do you love him? Do you love him? Do you rejoice in his offering for sin? Those who love him will come under his everlasting rule in the kingdom of heaven. Those who reject him will fall under his everlasting curse. God calls you again today to come to him. He calls you to a life of trust, faithfulness, obedience heed his warnings believe his promises and your life will bring much honor to his name and many blessings to his church look to him trust in him may he be glorified let us pray Lord, how we long to see the next generation here at Bethel living for you, loving you, loving the gospel, embracing that sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. We recognize how quickly churches can depart from the truth. We look at the history of Israel, those who experienced so many blessings so many wonderful promises, those who bore the sign of the covenant, yet many of whom perished in sin. Dear Lord, may that not be so here in this congregation. May the next generation rise up to be far more fruitful, far more joyful, faithful, and obedient, than we here today. We pray that you will preserve this congregation. May we be steadfast. So Lord, we look to you recognizing that we are prone to wander. We sing in that hymn prone to leave, the God our love. We recognize the need for your sustaining grace. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who has unbelieving sons or daughters, unbelieving grandsons or granddaughters, Lord, will you hear their prayers? Will you use them to reach out into their lives and to show them the folly of sin and the misery of sin, sin which always brings us back to the house of bondage? That we pray that our children and our grandchildren would Love the Christ of the Covenant. So encourage your people, Lord, with the, the message of hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the joy that we experience when we know that our sins are forgiven and that the Passover lamb has been offered in our place. Receive our praises through these concluding songs. And help us to examine ourselves, to see whether we are living that thankful, gospel-centered life before you. Hear us, Lord, in the name of Christ Jesus.